0: What's up, party people? This is your boy, Keith. I am reminding you that as this episode airs, there is one day left to back the Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two Kickstarter. So, if you haven't backed it yet, now's your final chance. We got 24 hours or so left. Um, It's continuing the Kadoja story, Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft. There are three covers for you to choose from, including the Kickstarter exclusive Making Comics Variant, By your boy Scott Lost. That's an homage to Secret Wars number four. So head on over there right now and uh, check out the campaign and uh, pick a tier if you like what you see. Let's get to the episode. Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I'm a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Scott
1: Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Milsanda for The Accidental Aliens.
0: Yes, but what America, and the world dare I say, wants to know is what are you drinking?
1: Oh my man, I, okay, so I had left some beers over at my sister's house like a few months ago. And, like, I think I brought them over for a party or something, and I just happened to check their outside fridge, and they were all still there. So I just took them all home. Um, and one of those beers was Society Beer Folk Unite. And it is a, oh, yeah. a hazy IPA. It is a 7.5. So uh, I'm pretty excited. I, I do like me, okay. my hazies, and, and that's a nice ABV for me.
0: Yeah, yeah. What was the ABV again, 7? Seven? 7.5. 7.5. Okay, so I... <clears throat> Oh yeah. I will say that there was a beer that I had in my hand for this episode, and I was like, I am not feeling this beer. It was actually uh it was like a seasonal Christmas beer, and like at this point I'm just not sure I'm ever gonna drink it, you know, but uh but maybe I will. I, I decided to go with my surest of sure shots. So it's it there's really only one thing to discuss when it comes time to rating this, and you'll see at the end. This is arguably my favorite beer, Goose Island bourbon county brand stout this is as far as i'm aware the og of bourbon barrel aged stouts i've had my first sip it is goddamn delicious i i love it it's a sipping beer scott this is 14.3 percent oh shit <laughs> 12 12 ounces at 14.3 percent the good news is it's it's sipping you know you you do not drink this although you did on our Christmas episode, you you knocked back or what? No, it was the um, it was the dogfish head that Gary got us. Oh, that yeah. that mon- that monstrosity! Mm-hmm. Like I sipped it and you chugged it, and I was just like, "That's not what you're supposed to do." <laughs> but all good. It's hey, we all got there. We all got to Drunkland. It was just a matter of how we arrived. It's a matter of the the train that we took there. Right? Is so, is this
1: the first time you've had it, or you've had this before?
0: First time I had this was. About two years ago, I tried it on a whim. Um, We went to, it was actually during COVID and we just wanted to do a staycation. So we booked this really killer B&B at at a criminal rate based on what it was normally. We were like in Encinitas overlooking the ocean. Like it was dope. And you're high up on a cliff. It was so cool. And uh, that was when I first tried the the Bourbon County brand stout. And I loved it. Uh, Like, it, that that was actually the first um, barrel aged stout I ever had. Okay, and that. since then I've I that started my love affair with it. So I've come back to this because it's it's it just repeatedly is my favorite. You'll notice that the one I'm holding up is twelve ounces. Usually it is it comes in, I believe, like a 19 or 22 ounce bottle, you know, more expensive. But what they did was I think this year only, although they may do it next year, I hope they released it in 12 ounces Uh, like you could get a four pack. And it was an expensive four pack, but I'm glad I got it. I I break them out for special occasions or when I'm just in the mood. And hey, tonight felt tonight is (laughs) kind of special.
1: That actually answered my question, because I do remember you. I asked you before. Like uh you had another bourbon barrel stout and you had mentioned that one. So when you had said it, I was like, Is that his favorite one or that first one he tried? So yeah, right yeah. on man. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. this so. this this hazy IPA is delicious. It's nice and smooth. Yeah. It's what I like in a hazy. It just it's the IPA without all the bullshit, just a nice smooth finish. It's excellent.
0: Hell yeah. All right. I dig it. I dig it. So let's get to it, man. Let's talk about the first thing you did this week. What was it?
1: Well, the first thing I did was lettering. So I had to do the standard lettering for Second Shift 13, and I was able to knock it out. I think I did, on average, five pages a day. And so I was able to knock the whole book out in four days. It's 22 pages, so on the last day I did seven. Um, And, um, you know, it it was fun. It was easy. It's different, just like the flatting was compared to the drawing. You're just kind of using different parts of your artistic brain to do these things. You know, like the harder panels at the end of Second Shift 13 to draw them um, was very difficult. And then I switched to the flatting, which was nice, calm, and relaxing. And lettering is a step up from flatting. You know, there is some thinking that is involved with it. You have to make sure the, the dialogue is in a nice bubble shape or diamond shape. And, um, it, it was, it was cool, man. And, you know, and I had done lettering not too long ago with, uh, I think what Wanderers three. So, you know, my mind was kind of fresh with it. It wasn't something too far out where I had to go like, wait, how did I do this again? Like I still had the mm-hmm. rhythm of it, you know? So I was able mm-hmm. to knock it out pretty fast and, um, it was enjoyable. So
0: rock on. I, I, uh, I, I'm about to start some lettering myself.
1: <clears throat> Damn that caramel for,
0: dude it's not the caramel it's my fucking head cold oh I'm getting that's over right this,
1: yeah you, were, so you mentioned I'm getting
0: over this filthy head cold and uh yeah I, I think I mentioned it to you maybe in the in a text or something yeah, like off there. that mm-hmm. but it, it, dude it peaked at the worst time and when I say peak I mean sinus pressure I had my 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 worst sinus pressure slash head pressure when I was on an airplane oh, which is the no. worst fucking thing because it means your ears don't pop on the descent and that's what happened like so for the final hour of that descent i i simply just sat upright waited for the ear pressure to rise and and hurt and then i would do the you know blow cl- pinch your nose and blow on uh, out of your ears i guess to try to get that pressure you know readjusted and then it would do that and then it was just rinse and repeat for an hour just and then it would hurt like hell and then i would do it again and then it would hurt like hell and then i'm watching the altitude of the plane and it's like 10,000 feet 8,000 feet and I'm like my ears still haven't popped for good 6,000 feet 1,000 feet 300 feet they still didn't fucking pop they just kept on doing this cycle and then we touched down I'm not kidding we touched down and then I did it one more time and it went like and I was like oh how about that shit that seemed to do it (laughs) but I was wrong because then in baggage claim I happened to just do it one more time and that's when my ears all went like crackle 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 and that was the thing that did it. So yeah, I had to be on the ground for 20 minutes after to have the ears like restabilize it's so yeah, I'm, I'm just getting this cold the hell out of my system. I'm glad it's on my way out, you know,
1: yeah, that sounds like a fucking nightmare.
0: It sucked. It sucked. Um, and I and what was worse was I could see it coming from like a day before. I was like, oh, because I, I know all the stages of my cold. I know exactly the order that my stages come in. And I was like, man, I am tracking to have the worst head pressure when I'm on that goddamn plane tomorrow coming back from New York to, uh, to home. So eh, I got through it. But uh, what I was going to say is I'm about to get to lettering for Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two, so I can relate. I am, I'm, I'm looking forward to it in that Zen lettering kind of way. And like you said, it's going to take some thought. Um, How much, how much leverage, how much leeway do you allow yourself in terms of rewriting dialogue? Do you rewrite dialogue much or, or no?
1: Yeah, that's actually something. Um, oh, it's actually, yeah, it was actually part of my first thing. I I usually look at my notes when, when you ask me and I was like, no, I remember what it is. Um, but yeah, Mm -hmm. part of those notes are me and Ed went back and forth three times. So where the lettering is at now was, uh, basically three drafts worth. Like I'll do the basic lettering. Um, I won't attach the tails, you know, I'll have them there, but they won't be basically connected with the balloon. And that Mm -hmm. way, if there's any kind of adjustment that needs to be done, like adding text or removing text, the size of that bubble will change. So that means if you have your tail attached, the the size of the tail will change, too. And sometimes it gets a little wonky and you don't want Mm -hmm. that. So um, just to avoid that extra work, I I leave it unconnected. And so, yeah, we were going back and forth and there was some some things I was like, ah, this is too much dialogue. You know, sometimes the dialogue is necessary. So you have to figure out ways how to put it in. And there's sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, you know what, we can cut this, just trim that fat right there. Um, the same message gets across. It's just a little bit more clean. And um, yeah. you could see more of the art, you know, like it's important to balance how much of the art is being covered up as, as opposed to not. And I prefer mm-hmm. not. And yeah. um, yes, we're going back and forth. And there were a couple of couple of issues that that took place. So the initial script, Ed had a couple of these characters doing something during the day. And so when I drew it, I missed that part of it and I ended up drawing it at night. And so that kind of screwed up the rest of the issue as far as time frame goes. And I was like, wait, okay, so this is the next day and then this is that night, but then this other thing says later that night. I'm like, but it's already night. So how late are we talking here? Is this like two in the morning? Like what's going on? And so mm-hmm. it was just one of those things where we had to adjust it and it was just a couple of quick fixes but it did change the shape of the balloons and, and placement and everything like that, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I would say about three three drafts uh, took place, and okay. yeah. So as far as the rewriting goes, that a lot of things had to be rewritten because of time frame. It's like, well, this character is saying this, but now that doesn't apply because it's really late at night. So how do we fix this? So mm-hmm. um, and then also, if Ed has written the initial script and then I start to draw it, and I decide to change a few things, then the art no longer, on certain pages, no longer matches the story that was written. So those pages and panels have to be rewritten, new dialogue has to be added or removed, Mm -hmm. uh, etc. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of rewriting that goes on, and we just both go back and forth until we're both really happy with the script. And so for us, for this particular issue, it was three drafts.
0: Nice, nice. Hey man, what however many it takes to get it done exactly. is is the right number, right? So mm-hmm. that's cool. That's cool. All right, so so for my first thing, I um it's it's about my short story. It's about the short story that I've been talking about a lot these last few weeks. I mean, the one that I first thought of, let's go with three weeks ago, did a first draft in a week, gave it to my my workshoppers, they gave it back to me. I I got some great notes, I put those notes in and so through the week, it was an interesting week because I got the notes back. I put the notes in. And then I got to the ending. And we're going to talk about the ending. This actually spurred on what our main topic is this week. So I'm going to save that. But suffice to say, I took three days to, to stick on the ending. And then I finally was like, okay, I think I got it. I think I got it. And then I did that. And th- this was a couple days ago. So since then, what I've done is now, now I have a very, very nice first draft, if not second draft of the story. But I'm not done. You know, like um, my, my novel teacher, my novel mentor, Mark, I don't know. I don't think I've ever mentioned this on the podcast. Uh, sometimes I would get a note in the columns from him and it would simply say DB, D.B dot B dot. Have I ever talked about what that means?
1: No. I was like trying to figure it out in my head. It means it
0: means do better. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so so yeah. We he uh, I think I think that somehow got hatched during our group's um, workshops all the time. I think it was in somebody's story. Like she had put it, she had a memoir and one of her teachers said on one of her notes one time, this is Jane, Jane, uh, Jane was so cool. And she said like the teacher made a note of like, must do better. And somehow I think that that became something that my novel mentor did. And now we say that to each other in workshop. Sometimes you could just circle something and you and you're like, do better you know like you've you've got a better way to do this in you we know you we know you're a better writer than this so don't get lazy that's what a lot of it tends to come down to and really what this what what this pass of the story I'm on is is trying to do better in every single way or not every single way right because i now have a plot i now have a crux of how the story goes but the things i'm focusing on now cuz you know this is equivalent of second third draft are language Am I, am I using the right level of language that I want? Are my words good? You know, I'm not saying fancy. I'm not saying I have to turn this into a bunch of $5 words. Sometimes shorter words work. But but is it the right language? Is it is it the right level? Because there's always better ways to phrase something. Um, or there's not always better ways, but definitely on your second damn draft there are. Dialogue. Is the dialogue doing enough, right? Because... I didn't think it was, and and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take another detour here. I've mentioned this before in terms of of songs, right? I've been making songs for thirty plus years, so what that means is my brain has institutionalized a lot of things about what makes a final mix good and what makes a final mix bad. So when I'm ready to do final mixes, I'll throw together a final mix, I'll make an MP3 of it or a wave of it. I will then stop thinking about it. I will put it onto my phone. I sleep on it and the next morning I listen to it in the car. It takes it takes no more than 10 seconds for me to figure out what is wrong with that. And it and you know it's now gotten to the point where I can just hear it for 10 seconds, 5 seconds and be like it's wrong. Nope, it's not right. And then I think about why the bass is too high in the mix, whatever it is, right? The guitar is too low in the mix. Sometimes those two things can get solved with one move. If the bass is too high and the guitars are too low, turn the bass down. It'll make the guitar seem louder. You killed two birds with one stone, you know? So you figure out all that stuff. And then I just do the same thing. I make my note. And then when I'm home later, I make that tweak. I, I make a file out of that. And then I wake up the next morning and do it. I say this because... It's this idea of institutionalizing, like immediately being able to see what's wrong. And in writing, I am on that continuum, but I'm not there yet. So so with this story, I was like, this isn't right. But I don't know why. I don't know why. I just have to write my way through it and figure it out. And it turned out that... What was not right about it? So again, I'm talking about this pass being a language pass, making the dialogue uh, stronger, and also making the story feel smoother. And a lot of those things tie into what I think the crux of this issue is. I I am I am in God author mode, and I'm not letting the characters breathe enough and drive enough of the story. Mm. Right, and and I think we can all relate to that. Because, especially in comics, you know, in comics, a lot of times you can, you can write a script and then you can have the author do it, and you may not go into these fourth, fifth level of examinations like you have to when you're doing prose, but it's still important to do and important to make sure that you remember you need to make everything feel like an organic action of the character. And it didn't it's not that it didn't feel organic, it's just it felt it felt like the characters were a little too there to further the plot of the author as opposed to being there to live their own lives. And and what I'm what I'm discovering on this rewrite, I am two thirds of the way in. Again, it's a short story, it's twenty pages, so I think I got to about page fourteen today. Is this draft already feels better because the characters are starting to drive the story in slightly different ways? And you know, it all comes back to the main narrative. I know how to bring it all back to the main narrative, but I like this version more already because I can feel the organic nature of the characters. I'm knowing the characters a little bit better, which means that you can kind of suss out what they might say, how they might drive the situation, etc., etc. And so that's what I'm pleased with. So that's That's a lot of what I did this week, um, about, you know, again, it all centers around trying to let the making sure that the characters are actually driving the story, even though the characters are just an extension of the author anyway, right? Like you want the characters to organically drive the story, or at least drive it in slightly different directions, right? Like like let's just let's just knock a scene out off the top of my head. Let's say you and I are at SoCal Comics and we go outside and we find a oh let's let's go with a dead zombie. Let's 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 fuck it up a little bit. Let's mix it up a little bit. The original pass of that story could be Scott and Keith find a zombie, right? And then Scott and Keith talk about what to do with the zombie. And then they set out on a zombie killing rampage, right? Like that's what the author wants. The author wants you and I to be the people that lead the charge against the mighty zombies. Except that's not quite enough, is it? Because when you and I walked out of that comic shop, we had something we were going to do. And you may have had something. So, like, for example, we may have said we were going to go to society and we were going to drink some beers. And then we were going to go record record the podcast. And let's say that you had a date with your lady later that night. And I was supposed to be back, you know, for a a family function at 7 p.m. myself. So that's going to drive a little bit of what we say. We're not just going to find the zombie and commit to a zombie killing rampage. We're gonna have to balance all of those things that are in our brains. Me, I wanna have a beer with you, I wanna record a co- podcast, and I need to get home for 7 p.m. for you know a party or something like that. You have a lot of similar things, but you're going out with your lady later. And, and when those things inform the action, now you're cooking, right? So it's a crude example, but I think it illustrates what getting down into those levels of the characters does for making slight variations in the story. Will you and I still go on that zombie killing rampage? Yeah, most likely because the author says so, right? But we're going to have to do some things. I'm going I might have to call my wife and be like, "Hey, I'm sorry, babe. I got to kill zombies. Some fucked up shit's going on." Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, or what or whatever it's or 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 maybe I don't. Maybe I don't and then, you know, again, that's that's where the author can play God. I, I could always get in my car and say like, fuck this, I'm not killing zombies, this is just a fluke thing, zombies aren't real, and then I can make a, a turn at the light away from society, and a goddamn zombie can slam into my car and, and rip a tire off or something like that. Well, you know, the author gets to play God too and get what the author wants, it's just a matter of making that all organic so that the character is doing things organically instead of just sort of a, a puppet at the hands of the author.
1: Yeah, that all makes sense. That's um, I have something to talk about as far as writing the writing side of this goes, and that informs a lot of it. You know, like I was tackling something, and uh, I'll, I'll get to that when we get to the main topic. And yeah. yeah, I agree with all of that. It all makes sense to me. You give these characters obstacles in their own lives that they have to deal with, and then it affects the overall story. Okay, here's the primary objective of the story, and mm-hmm. these characters all have their own agendas, their own lives, those their own. The aspects of their lives, the things that they have to do, and then it affects their personal story that goes into the main story.
0: Exactly, exactly. And and this is, you know, this is the kind of thing where there are probably some people right now, the writers, that are listening and going like, well, that's not really how it works for me. And that's okay. It means that you are not a plot-driven writer. I am a plot-driven writer. We've talked about this on on some recent podcasts, in fact, that, that plot tends to, to really wind my clock. If you're the kind of person that's a character-based writer, and you're just going to let characters go bonkers, then odds are you might be a little bit better informed when it comes time for the second draft. You're still going to need to make sure you're doing all these things, but you're probably going to have like a one-draft head start on the people out there that write for plot and know what they want to have happen in the story And then realize that they need to stir the characters in a little bit too.
1: Yeah. So for my, my second thing, it was basically going over the issue and just making sure second shift, 13, making sure everything was done on my end. So I went back through, I was looking for any kind of inconsistent inconsistencies that I found, um, any kind of notes Ed gave me when he was checking out the issue too. And you know, like he has, he's like, Hey, you know, maybe add a sound effect here or here or there. And I was like, okay, yeah, that one needs it. That one needs it. That one doesn't so much. So it's just kind of like feeling it out, like feeling out the pacing of the story, like where it's needed sometimes. So like speaking of like, feel, like feeling the issue out and filling the characters out, it's, 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 it can be one in the same. So like when I was going over the, over the issue, Ed was suggesting where maybe we should put a couple more sound effects. And there was a certain part of the story where I was like, no, right here the art's gonna speak for itself because there's so much going on in these in these two pages. There's so many panels that the sound effects would actually be distracting. And so that's something to look out for when you're creating your issues. Like make sure when you're adding these things that it makes sense for the story, where the story is at, and like do you really need it? You know, there, there's times where I find I'm like, no, this, this doesn't need it at all. But then you have those big moments and that that's where you obviously need to, to put those types of things in. Um, so that was, that was something we were going back and forth about. Um, you know, he sent me over the notes and I, I took what I needed and I left, left the rest on the floor. And, but then I was also looking over the art. So I was just going step by step. Okay. You know, artist Scott, check out the art, see if there's any inconsistencies, you know, like, like I talked about a episode or two ago. Uh, oh, is a mm-hmm. character wearing her earrings, you know? And I was like, oh shit, there was one part like I had mentioned with the the dialogue that the time frames changed. So I drew this particular character wearing the same shit, but it was like three days later. So I actually the flats were done, the art was done the the sound effects lettering was done, but I was like, she's wearing the she's wearing the same clothes. That can't happen. So I actually mm-hmm. had to redraw her shirt just to make it look like she has a different outfit on. And, uh, you know, it didn't take too long to do, but you know, all of those little things added up and that was a large consumption of the week was the lettering. And then on top of finding all of these like tiny little inc- inconsistencies, you know, and, and, but it was helpful. Like I felt really good about it after everything was said and done. And I was like, okay, you know, this character, okay. Like Eddie, he wears t-shirts. He's just a, a screen tea guy. So, there in, you go. I
0: know in, that guy. <laughs>
1: yeah. So in every every scene he's in, he's wearing a screen tee, but it's a different day. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, how can we differentiate, uh, put a different image on his t-shirt, you know? So that mm-hmm. was something else that I had to do. I was like, Oh crap. I still haven't drawn shit on his t-shirt. Eddie will 100% have something on his t-shirt at all times. He'll never wear just a blank t-shirt. That's not him. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I had to create a couple of images and I was like, shit, I need to create a whole pattern that's going to be on this t-shirt. So I had to design two t-shirts and throw them on, uh, in two different scenes. So, uh, you know, it was fun uh, finding all those little things and it made the whole book better for it. You know, I felt good leaving mm-hmm. it and going, I think I'm done. I don't think there's anything left for me to do. You know, the, the lettering, the art, the flats all taken care of. Now it's up to Joaquin, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, take, take the book, do your magic on it, make it look amazing. And then I'll just drag and drop those, the new art pages, replace the old, you know, flats and, uh, you know, I'll be ready to roll. Um, shoot, I wonder if I should combine... How many things you got? I have one more. Okay, I'll just combine this. Um, I also emailed Mike, Mike Perkins, um, yeah. from this podcast and Invader fame. And that so, dude. That dude. So uh, I hit him up, and he finally... I Like, I know he has a lot of stuff to do, but he finally got back to me, in like, an hour before the pod. 30, 30 minutes to an hour before the pod. And uh, he's like, yeah, send it over. So Mike is currently looking at this issue, seeing if there's anything that he can find that's sticking out, sticking out to him. Hopefully he doesn't find too much. You know, if he finds anything, then we'll we'll go back and take care of it. But, uh, you know, I feel like this issue is pretty tight. So we'll see what he says.
0: OK. Hey, that's that's cool. That's cool. Um, something you mentioned a few minutes ago. That's always good to hear. The idea of serving the story, right? I mean, we we talk about this a lot, but I want to bring it up here again. As as like, I I don't think I can bring enough enough. I can, I don't think I can bring it up enough. Hello, beer. Hello. Whoa, it's it's like it's like horses coming around the track, right? <laughs> like that was this beer. It was like they're coming in, and now they're in the final quarter mile stretch, bitch. Because I'm I don't know, man. I'm like. Uh, a little over halfway into this. And and like we mentioned, it's high octane. But story always comes first. You know, I was listening back to the podcast where I was talking about the idea of kill your darlings. And it was probably later in the episode because, you know, I was probably buzzed then. But I I missed an opportunity there to talk about why you kill your darlings. You don't just kill your darlings because your shit rules. You (laughs) kill your darlings if you have to because the story is not being served by them. Right? Like, that's the hardest thing. The hardest thing is to kill your darling, is to kill something that's amazing because you know in your heart it's not serving this story. All I can say is take that thing, put it on a shelf. You'd be surprised at how often you're able to use it again in a different context. It, it comes back. If it's good enough, you'll figure out a way to put it in a future thing. But that's what you're talking about here, right? You're talking about what serves the story, and and how you can best do that. So that's that's always cool. It's always the right thing to do. Period.
1: Yep, yeah, I agree.
0: Word. All right, let's get to my second thing. My second thing is smaller, but it is worth noting only because it's worth noting. So we are as as we record this, we are a couple days into my Kickstarter. For Kadoja Symphony of Madness 2. When this airs, there is one day left on the Kickstarter for Symphony of Madness 2. So, yo, if you haven't backed it yet, please do. Um, There's some some killer covers on there. One of them is by Your Boy Scott Lost. We just I just posted that for the first time yesterday. It's gotten an amazing reaction. In fact, I had somebody, a Kadoja fan uh, named Charles, he said that Secret Wars 4 was the cover that got him into comics. And I was like, oh, holy trip. shit. Yeah that's the guy said me too dude that's the cover that got me into comics so like now i can date when he got into comics it was basically within the same 30 days of when i got into comics in the 80s when that thing was fresh in the comic shop so i thought that was so cool um it's it's a fun fun cover it looks great it's a killer homage and it is getting it is getting critical acclaim so anyway i wanted to mention that right on, but, man.
1: i'm glad people are digging it it was fun to do yeah for sure. Pe-
0: People are totally digging it. Totally digging it. But I wanted to mention the Kickstarter because I had always planned to launch this thing on a Tuesday because I knew I was going to travel the Friday to the Monday, right? Like, I don't know how much I'll talk about this from last weekend, but I did take a trip to, uh, I, I drove all around, man. I went to New York, I went to Philly and I went to state college, which that is, those are my, you know, hours apart from each other by car. And uh, and I came back because of the, the way it worked. The best thing to do was to come back on the Monday night. And therefore, I woke up early Tuesday. I posted the Kickstarter. I was ready to go. And, uh, and then it funded in a couple hours, which was amazing. And this is where the part where not only my trip, you know, tripped me up a little bit, no pun intended, but the fact that I had a cold tripped me up because those couple days would have been great for me to think about what happens next once it funds. What are your stretch goals? What new tiers do you want to offer? What other cool things can you do for the Kickstarter to keep it bumping all the way through the dead middle? And I didn't have a goddamn clue. So I spent most of yesterday thinking about that. And uh, I just want to mention that that this is yet another example of how look I've done multiple kickstarters I've been part of now more than a dozen probably around 20 when you count all the invader kickstarters that I'm a you know I I work on you still have oversights like this it's still hard to to figure out how to manage the dead middle so know that Right. No, uh, you know, like it's interesting because I had a couple I've had a couple emails from people and messages from people over the last week or two who are doing Kickstarters. And they've asked for a few quick things, you know, on the side. And I've I've chatted with them just a little bit. And um, the one thing I tell them is, you know, just be ready, be ready for the dead middle, but have a plan for the dead middle, because you, you may not be able to control A ton of what happens, but you can control having interesting things to say every single day. It doesn't have to be eight interesting things. Don't don't be a carnival barker hawking your Kickstarter. But if you can think of one interesting thing to say every day, and make adjustments and have a move that you can do, then at least you've addressed doing something. And so I personally think it's best to plan out those things you're going to do in advance, knowing like, hey, day one and day two are going to have a lot of momentum and then the momentum's going to lag. And then I'm just going to have to figure out how to at least keep some kind of energy up throughout the duration of the Kickstarter. Again, I wasn't able to do that this time because of a combination of a cold and a trip, um, but I'm I'm there now. And it's been a, a crazy day or two as I've like just racked my brain on ways to, to th- do things, to get a, you know, an idea out there, to throw a video or reel together, um, to introduce a new tier, etc. So I think I'm set up now for the duration of the Kickstarter, but I'll probably even double check where I am in a day or two, make sure, and then just always find a fresh angle to do something every single day through the Kickstarter.
1: Yeah, man. Kickstarters are hard enough. And then for you to be sick on top of it and trying to run it, that's just it's a fucking nightmare, dude.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Again, it, it just well, I mean, it was it was more of it deprived me that in advance thinking of knowing that on day three, I'll do this on day five. I'll do this. I can do that. Like I just I didn't have the ability the energy or the time to really think that through. So now I'm a little behind the eight ball, but I'm getting there. You know, again, I'm, I'm adjusting to it. I'm putting stuff up. I'll be able to, gather my bearings a little bit over the next day or two, and then kind of have that plan to push forward. So it's all good. It's all good. But it's, I, I think it was helpful to share as a reminder that this can happen to people that have done it a ton. And, uh, and odds are it's going to happen to you. So just be ready and know what your plan is as you try to navigate the soft middle of, of your Kickstarters.
1: Yeah, I I still make mistakes. Like I'm the ones that I'm the one that usually runs them uh, for my own kickstarters, and then for the Accidental Aliens, I'm the one usually, you know, uh, captaining that ship. And even when I get to like one of my big ones, and it's happened a couple of times, and I kick myself every time it happens, is when I'm doing the questionnaire at the end, I'll forget the the really important question to me is how'd you hear about the Kickstarter? And like, Mm -hmm. for me, it's like data mining. It's like, okay, where are you getting this information from? Where, what was a good resource? Okay. This one's come like the majority is coming from Facebook and then some is coming from Instagram and a couple Mm -hmm. is trickling in from, from Twitter, you know, but it's like, well, every single one of those social media matters because even though, let's say I get three people from Twitter, Well, that's three Mm -hmm. more people that I got from Twitter, you know, depending what tier they bought, that can be anywhere from, you know, an extra, you know, like 30 to 60 bucks, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. more depending on the tier, like I said. So yeah, just it happens to everyone, you know, like you, you just forget the things that you do every single time and, and you know, it is what it is, but, uh, you know, you do better and like, Hey, the, the best news of it all was your Kickstarter funded in a couple of hours. So it's just like, it's kind of all gravy. But um, oh, totally. I hear you. It always helps to have those extra things you can do in the middle just to kind of perk it up a little bit. So you just don't feel like, you know, whacking your head against the wall. It's like, shit, this thing isn't moving, you know, or it's like, oh, man, it was only exactly. this, this many dollars today. And, you know, yeah. so I get it for sure.
0: And you and you mentioned this for a previous Kickstarter, Scott. I've come up with some pretty killer ideas over the last day or two. But the thing is, this is issue two of a four issue limited series. I just I just want to print it, man. You know, like and and that was something I wanted to talk about, too. For people out there that are figuring out what to set your Kickstarter goals at, you know, this is this is something that we talk about all the time at Invader because there's this debate among the dudes at Invader is it better to have, like, do you actually fund more money if you set a larger goal kind of out there, right? Is it better to set a super stretch goal knowing people have to push toward it? Or is it better to set a goal that you can fund? And so when you read the Kickstarter websites, it's it's the second thing I said. You want to set, what you want to do is you want to set a reasonable goal that you can fund and just and just be good with. And then you worry about going over it later. And there are a lot of reasons for it. The main reason is people like backing a winner. So your goal is to establish your Kickstarter as a winner as soon as possible. So because of that, I know Symphony Madness number two, Symphony of Madness number three, probably even Symphony of Madness number four. I'm just going to do very small Kickstarters for it. Because the big Kickstarters are going to come after that, right? Yeah, the the exactly. one where I'm saving my cool... I, I have some cool ideas that are fun as hell, and I can't wait to bust them out. But I got to wait for the Volume 4 trade, and then I've got to wait for the Omnibus. Because those are the ones that are going to be the bigger Kickstarters, because people like trades. So many more people like trades than like individual issues. So anyway, back to your point. I'm, I'm thrilled that it funded in a few hours, and now we just see what else I can do while busting out some pretty cool ideas that aren't exactly the even A or B ideas in my chamber. You know, you just want to have like the best B minus ideas possible in terms of these creative things because there are some other killer ideas, but you want to save those for for the trade and for ideally like the the mega trade, the omnibus that's coming up for Kadojo.
1: Yeah, definitely I, and I've had that debate with myself I didn't have a bunch of guys bound you had it, it
0: with your one. last Kickstarter yeah you had it with your last Kickstarter
1: yeah it was just like okay is it is it better to to try to get a higher goal like are people looking at the Kickstarter and going oh well they needed let's let, you know pick a number I, I usually do 300 right like if I'm doing yeah. single issues I do 300 mm-hmm. like that's really yeah. all I need I need the bare minimum for a print run. Um, I'm the artist, I pay my colorist ahead of time, Um, Ed gets paid like after the Kickstarter uh, you know, if it does well and then we we take our cuts after that, right? So, I need the bare minimum and once I have that, I'm good. Now, I've debated like, well, if I made it higher, will people like, people see the 300 and they go, oh, he's good, he doesn't need my money, he already hit his goal, Mm -hmm. right? And then I go, well, I've seen other Kickstarters have very minimum goals, and theirs just goes over and over and over and over and over. You know, mm-hmm. so like I was like, no, that can't be the factor. You know what I mean? So it was no. just like, should I should I raise it to a higher amount? Because when I first started doing my Kickstarters, I would do it for like two to three thousand every single time, and I would hit yeah. it every single time. You know, and um,
0: and and you'd lose four years
1: off your life. Exactly. I would just be stressed yeah. the fuck out the entire time. Yeah. Um, exactly. And then even if I did hit the goal relatively early, I just had that worry ward in me and I was just stressed out again, the dead middle. Right. And it's just like, this shit isn't moving. How come yeah. it's not moving? You know? And yeah. cause then you start building this idea in your head, like, okay, at this rate, I was hitting a couple of thousand in two days, you know, literally two two days, 2,000 bucks, right? Three days, 3,000 bucks. And I was like, man, if this continues, by the end, I'll have $30,000, right? So you get these delusions exactly. of grandeur in your head, and yeah. then it doesn't happen, then you just feel sad. So it's just and like... Then, and
0: then before you know it, you're at 2,200 with two days to go, right? right? Yeah, you're like, right, son right. of a bitch. Yeah, you're like,
1: what yeah. the fuck did I just do to myself? So, yeah, definitely yeah. set those modest goals, those those ones that you know you can hit, and then that way you can have a stressful, uh, stress-free couple of weeks yeah. or or how many ever, you know, days you put on your Kickstarters. Like you used to usually do like exactly 14 days, right? 14, 15 days. I like days.
0: 14 or 15 personally. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And I do the 30. So it's just like yeah. for me, I like to con- consider, oh, well, people may not have enough this paycheck so they can't donate it. So they'll have at least one more paycheck to back the thing, you know? Yeah. And so that's kind of where my mind is with it. And I yeah. think I'm happy with a thirty. So just kind of fill it out yourself and see what you're comfortable with. You know, mm-hmm. look at your numbers, see what makes sense for you to set your goal. Uh, do do that. You know what I mean? Like if you're if you're one of the creators, uh, try not to take a cut in, and put it into the total. You know what I mean? Yep. Like like yep. if this is your project and you did your part, there's no need to put your salary in the total. Because it's mm-hmm. your project, you're the one running the Kickstarter, yeah. so you're going to collect yeah. everything out of it besides what you put into it. You know, if you got to pay your colorist, your artist, or or your writer, who, whoever you aren't in your project, just put mm-hmm. just put those ones in there, and you'll be good to go.
0: Yep, exactly. I'm right, I'm right there with you. I'm right there with you. So let's get to our main topic. Yeah, what we're going to talk about is finding the right way to end a story. And, and this could be a couple episodes on its own. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us into this. And then, Scott, you know, you can, you can chime in and we can go from there, right? Because this was actually going to be one of the things I talked about as, like, my, my things for the week. But I think it serves better as a main topic because you are going through the same thing. That's why it's so cool. And so for me, I mentioned earlier that in the short story I'm working on, I, I stuck a few days for the ending. And I don't think we've really talked about endings on this, on this podcast before. So endings, endings are a, they're hard. Okay. Here's how we know endings are hard because almost nobody ever gets them right. (laughs) Right? Right. Like, like I, I am not kidding when I say, I don't know you listeners out there, you tell me, but like, if you were going to sit down and think about all of the endings you've you've read, you've seen on shows, you've seen on movies, you've read in comics, etc., if you if you were honest with yourself. When I'm honest with myself and I ask how many of these were really satisfying? It's 15 to 20% max. Like like basically one to two out of every 10 stories I have ever dealt with have like killer satisfying endings. And maybe let's go with two to three out of 10 have just fine endings, you know, like, okay, I'm fine with this. Um, I I mean, without without me calling out anything like, look, I'm going to call this out because I love the book. I just finally read Nice House on the Lake number 12. So that's that arc is done. I thought that was a just fine ending. It was Mm. just fine. It didn't it didn't make me want to sing. But it was just fine, and Nice House on the Lake was an amazing journey, an amazing ride that was killer, and that I would recommend to everyone. And that and, and a just fine ending should not undo the fact that you loved this book. It was my book of the year two years ago when it first came out in 2021, right? So I love Nice House on the Lake. That said, the ending didn't exactly like stick the landing. It was fine. You know, I mean, Stephen King is known for, you know, people make fun of him for botched endings. I think most of his endings are just fine. You know, um, he's had a few where he stuck the landing and he's had a few where, yeah, maybe that wasn't great. But most of them are just fine. And then, of course, there are some endings where they're just disappointing or silly or don't feel earned or all that stuff, right? Endings are hard. As a fan, I I have learned to not really incriminate a piece of work if you enjoyed it for nine-tenths of the way there and don't like the way they ended it. You know, like, you enjoyed it for nine-tenths of the way there, that means something. That means the person knew what they were doing and you should give them props. So for me, I always view... Sticking the landing as like a bonus and that way of elevating your favorite stuff and being like, oh, my God, they crushed the ending, you know, or or if you have a book like Death Note where there's two endings, they crushed the first ending and fucked up the second ending. So that just leaves <laughs> me confused and awkward. <laughs> right. So anyway, but um, but when it comes to what we're talking about here. It's, it's a dance. It's a calibration. Endings are a a mixture of opposites, right? I wrote down a few things here. It's, it's a calibration of things that don't go together. Because you want the ending to be a surprise, but you want the ending to be a surprise that you had a chance to guess if you'd have just paid closer attention. I call this the murder she wrote rule, right? Like... Like, a lot of Murder, She Wrote episodes way back in the day. I'm dating myself, but that's okay. A murder, She Wrote is an old series that was like a mystery series. And, and a lot of times, the ending, the, when you found out who done it, because it was always a murder mystery, it was always this fucking left field thing. It was like the butler who, who made one cameo in scene four. And you're like, dude, that sucks. Like, that's just a complete crapola ending. You you cared so much about people not guessing the ending that you made it impossible to guess. And that's not cool. You know, what you want is you want something that's possible to guess, but that most people don't. What you also want is you want it to be satisfying, but you want people to want more. Right. So that's. That's a bit of a dance in and of itself, right? Because you, you want people to be satisfied with how it ended yet. You somehow want them to be like, man, I could really go for some more, you know? So endings are tough and, and that's really what we want to talk about, right? Like, like don't make it, it it's about the dance and it's about the calibration that you need to do.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Like there's one of my favorite writers in comics and I'm not going to mention his name cause I don't, I don't need no problems. Um, but a lot of times he doesn't stick the landing, you know, uh, he's, he's a writer that's known for great concepts and, you know, a lot of the projects I really dig. And then we get to that last issue and I'm like, oh, that was a little underwhelming, you know, and, and that's unfortunate when that does happen. And sometimes it feels like the ending comes too quickly. It's like, man, I feel like that could have been a couple more issues. So that's like another thing that you have to look out for when you're when you're doing your writing, when you're when you're creating this ending to your story. Make sure you're not rushing through it. You know, like if it feels like it needs another issue, it might need another issue. So like if you plan for a four issue miniseries and it's really a five issue miniseries, give it that breathing room. Have that extra issue in there and let the plot fully take form. You know, like, you, you don't want to rush it, and, and that's what I feel like a lot of the problems is with this particular writer. Um, to use a TV show as an example, and this one's it's a little different, I guess. And, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Because I'm not in TV, so I could talk about it. Game of Thrones. I love Game of Thrones. It was intriguing uh, all the way through until the ending. The ending made no fucking sense. You know, it, like, literally, it was contradictory. You know, that that character... Uh, uh Bram uh, spoilers for a I don't know how old TV show <laughs> um, no spoilers man
0: people had their damn chance
1: yeah exactly so you know it's just like this character he, he didn't give a shit about the throne the whole story he wasn't even interested in doing it and to the point where he said I, I'm not even here for that I don't I, I'm not interested in that I'm here for this other thing and in the end, they, they give it to this guy. And, and it's just like, this this doesn't make any fucking sense, guys. Like, it makes zero sense why you chose this character to get the Iron Throne at the end. It just doesn't make sense. So make sure your shit makes sense. You know, number one. Totally. Like, like exactly what Keith said as far as the Murder, She Wrote's ending. It's like, don't do it to the <clears throat> detriment of your story because you want to be clever.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for me... That particular Murder, She Wrote thing is something I think about a lot. Keeps them up at night, guys. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> um, this, this, is, this is my personal rule. My personal rule is that I would like 10 to 15 percent of the people out there to successfully guess my ending because i i'm not here to be too cute right that's the thing about murder she wrote murder she wrote by the time people get to the end one maybe 2% of the people can guess that ending and straight up they're lucky right they're they're only lucky and they're guessing the ending because they're probably like oh the the guy who sells hot dogs at the baseball park is actually the murderer <laughs> you know like like because they know the dna of something like murder she wrote
1: yeah they know the formula right
0: that- Right. But but so so my personal mantra is to, again, have one one, you know, what's that 10, 15 percent of the people be able to successfully guess the ending and then you just do what you can. Right. If if you can if you can get 80 percent of the people eight out of every 10 to not successfully guess your ending, then I think you're in a cool place or maybe they guess part of it, but not all of it. That's also fine. You know, um, it uh, obviously depends on the story. What I've been thinking a lot of when I've said this is, of course, my novel where I've made it, you know, I, I I am shooting for that as a cool part to guess the ending for something like Kadoja. I mean, can you pretty much guess the ending? Of course you can, man. It's a giant fucking monster story. You know, like I'm not I'm not here to write Inception when it comes to Kadoja, <laughs> you know, um, oh, but, shit. but I thought so. that was
1: the HP Lovecraft uh, version coming in, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah, but but in that case, too, so, I mean, it again, I, I think it's about understanding what kind of story you're writing and what you want that ending to be. I am getting towards the grand ending of Kadoja, And and what I have decided to make this, you know, volume four is effectively the last 25% of the mega arc. So that means when I get to the last issue and a half of volume four, it is full throttle motherfucker right and that's what I'm going for anybody who read Symphony of Madness number one will tell you that things are ratcheting up and when you get to Symphony of Madness number two you're gonna see things are even ratcheting up more right things are building to a, a, a pretty crazy finish it's a finish that I'm proud of And it's a finish that I just happened upon one time. And I was like, I remember saying it to Eden. And I was like, here's my idea for what happens in volume four. Like this, this, and this, and this. And she just sat there for a second. And she looked at me. She was like, wow, that's really cool. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) it's, you know, like it's it's all you can do. All you can do is just try to be a little different, a little crazier, a little wilder, etc. Right. So, again, if you're doing an action story, then... You may not need to write Inception or The Crying Game, you know, dating myself with a movie from the 90s where you have a twist that people could have seen coming and it's pretty guessable, but it also is a surprise. Um, you want the action to serve as the way of you delivering a great ending, you know? So if you have action moves, save the kill, save the best action move for the end. Again, I'm going to use my own stuff. Anybody who's read Three Protectors Volume 1 can tell you. Or will probably tell you that I saved the best action move for the end, right? It's it's about doing those things. You know, you're not here to surprise anybody. You're here to do something cool. If you're writing a rom-com, then you'd better have the most badass romantic thing be at the end, right? Like, fucking what is it? What am I thinking of, Scott? Say anything, right? Say oh, yeah. anything. <clears throat> hold Holding the boombox up at the rain at the end, you know? like Like, that person knew you got to save that shit to the end. Cause that's going to be the signature thing of your story. So again, it's about understanding what kind of story you have understanding what a good ending is in that story, in your genre, because you probably know you're a fan of that genre. And then understanding this calibration where, you know, you're going to have to balance some things that don't seem to go together.
1: Yeah. Where I'm at too, is it's a little bit different. Um, I'm trying to figure out the ending to this short story that I'm doing. And it's, it's an ending. It's not an ending. It's a cliffhanger, but it's a matter of getting to it. That's the issue for me. So like I'm writing a, um, I don't, I don't know. It might be a 10 page short story for an anthology series. And I, it's the story that I've been talking about on the pod for over a year now, something that got put on the back burner and it's finally coming to fruition. And I am kind of tackling the writing element of it for the most part. And it's just so different because I've done so much research as far as what to do or or like who the characters are, the setting, like all of these like Easter eggs and everything. And I'm like, man, I really feel like I should write the story for the most part. And so I put on my writer's cap and that's something I was tackling today. And that was actually much like you. That was supposed to be one of the things I did this week. And mm-hmm. since we came up with this topic I'm going to push it back obviously to to the main subject here, and we'll talk about it then. So how do you how do you find a transition to get you towards the end? like like I'm working on on the body of the story, the intro and the body of the story, and now I'm here at the ending. So like I'm finding it i I think I found a way, but it seems a little cheap to me what stimulates you or or how do you get to the final arc of the story or the, the ending of the story? Like, like, I don't know how else to put that.
0: Hmm. I know it, I know it's tough because I, I bet that there's a better version of this question that involves you giving me details. Right. And -hmm. of course we're not here. We're not here to give details while we're recording because you and I, you know, I'm more precious than you, I think, but we're both precious about our ideas. Um, so here, here's what I would say as as a general thing. Take that ending that you have. Uh, my here's my hunch, Scott. My hunch is that you have an ending. Yes. And there and that there's a disconnect between the and I'm guessing you thought of that ending a while ago. And, Relatively, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now it sounds like you have a disconnect between what that ending is and what the story leading up to that ending has given you. So now what you have to do is you have to build that bridge. And so I think for for me, the best way to answer that is to say that you should do a thought exercise. I, I would say do two versions of this story. Do one story where the what you've had for the first, you said it's 10 pages, right? Roughly, yeah. Mm-hmm. So So let's say the first eight pages are what they are. Try to build a bridge to the end of that story in the final two pages, the one that you thought of a while ago, and see how that works. But then fuck around and do an alternate version where you get to the end of page eight. And then you do whatever you feel that ending is and build to that, you know, because there's a chance. I'm, I'm, again, I'm going out on a limb. Remember, I have no details here. I'm going out on a limb and saying that the original ending that you wrote may not fit this story now. So now I think what what that tells me is you may have an ending for this story that's different than what your original ending is. And your original ending may in fact be the better ending for a continuation of the story. In other words, you, you have more story to tell in between that you need to get to. Yes. Right? So... So if that's the case, so it sounds like I, I kind of got that right. So if that's the case, then I might recommend you doing a brand new ending, holding this ending out in the future. Are you planning on doing more of this story?
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's basically Save a cliffhanger ending. I'm going to give you more yeah. details when we get off the air here. But yeah, yeah. You're, you're hitting it on the head. Um, The ending definitely was a general idea I had, it's like, yeah, this is how it would end because it leaves it on a cliffhanger. And then, so whenever I get back to this story, it leads you right into, you know, other, other parts of it that have yet to be delved into. So yeah, there's that, like you said, I need to create that bridge from where I'm at in the story to where I can get to a cliffhanger. So yeah, we'll definitely talk more off the
0: air on this one. For sure. For sure. But I mean, I, I can tell you, Scott, that I can relate to this kind of thing. And I would say, uh, here, here's what, here's what I'm a fan of doing right now. I'm a fan of challenging myself to get out of a spot that I can't fucking get out of.
1: Yes. So um, I, don't I, know I if You I will... mentioned that on a previous pod or I heard it yeah. somewhere. Um, it basically put your characters in a situation where the audience goes, how the fuck are they going to get out of this situation? And right. you yourself go, how the fuck are they going to get out of this situation? Totally. Be- <laughs> totally. Because then it makes the story so much more intriguing Yeah. And number one, the audience doesn't know where it's going. You know what I mean? And so you have to kind of create a scenario in which they get out of whatever that situation is. So it makes it super intriguing and it definitely changes your story up to the point where um, it's just not so easy to to guess the ending of it. Who, who died? Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. For, I mean, there's a couple examples here, right? For people that read Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two, when it comes out, it ends on something that's happening. And I got to tell you when I wrote it, I specifically wrote it going, dude, I have no fucking idea how I get my character out of this, right? But but that's a challenge to myself. And, and so over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to letter um, issue number two. And then that's going to launch me into writing issue number three. And then I'm going to figure it the fuck out. I know I'm going to, right? I know I'm going to. I just have no idea what the answer is. And in a lot of ways, by Mike challenging me to end Animals number one on a cliffhanger... That also puts me in the spot where like straight up, Scott, I, I don't have a I don't really have an idea what animals number no. two is going to be. I know mm-hmm. it's going to be cool and I am know I know I'm going to have fun writing it, but I couldn't. There is not one thing about animals number no. two that is etched in stone right now. Right. Like I have a version of animals number no. two that I wrote a long time ago. I'm not even sure that applies. But with Mike's new cliffhanger and with the notes that Mike gave me. Dude, Animals number two is a blank slate. And there will be a day when I write that and I'm looking forward to it. But again, I'm challenging myself, right? So this is the kind of thing that I love doing as a creator because, you know, you we said something, you said something offline. You were talking about a person we know who's a comic creator. And and that person said, uh, you know, I do comics. I'm sure as shit not in this for the money, <laughs> right? right. And, uh, and so for me too, man, you know, it's something that I've really tried to, You know, triple down on is the idea of doing this as a way of creative expression, of challenging myself of all these things. Hey, if it breaks even, fantastic. If it makes more money than breaking even, even better. But that's not why I'm here. I'm here to challenge myself creatively. And so that's fun too. So anyway, I know we've gotten off on a little bit of a tangent here, but I think it helps for the people that are listening too, because as Scott is mentioning about his short story, I bet a lot of the comics that you guys out there are working on right now are the kind where there's an ending, but it's not really an ending. It's an ending to this story, but there's more to come. So you have to, again, it's this balance, right? It needs to be a satisfying ending, but you definitely wouldn't mind if it set up something going forward as well, right? So, you know, I, I, think, I think we've talked about that enough for now. I mean, we could do six podcasts on it, but, you know that at least gives a bit of a general idea on what to think about.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, I've done the same thing with many a story. So like Wanderers, Wanderers of Melisandre, I know how the story ends. I knew how it started and I knew how it ended. And it's just all a matter of getting your characters to that finish line. And so it's, it's the journey of the characters to get there. And that's a lot of the, a lot of the benefit of having your characters fleshed out. So like we've talked about on this episode here, once you get your characters to be who they are, it's easy to let them wander about the scene and do what they need to do. Whatever their life is, whatever their obstacle, personal obstacles are, um, that'll kind of dictate where the story goes. So um, this is just a matter of me kind of like, I'm at the beginning of a story and I need to get to this cliffhanger. So it's just like, there's a lot of, a lot of missing action there. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like so, so it's a little bit more difficult in in this particular circumstance. Um, but I would say, thinking of the beginning of your story and then thinking of the ending, like and then just fleshing those characters out, it'll definitely get there there a lot easier. Um, than this particular situation where I'm in. Like I these characters yeah. are fleshed out, but it's not exactly the end. So it's not a one-to-one yeah. one on what I'm working on compared to what the main topic is. But hey, this is something I'm going through, so I wanted to talk about it. So hey, there Hell it is. Oh yeah
0: man. Live live workshop. No, but I, I think it's helpful. I mean if you're going through it then no doubt other people are. And I think it's an interesting Dilemma because you have this ending that you know you want and now in the course of making the story you've realized that there's actually more story to tell before you get to that end totally mm-hmm. so I will say the one thing you don't want to do you know I brought this up a while ago and I'm going to bring it up again as much as I love the, the first Pacific Rim movie there's that that scene where you know Raleigh is saying something and then Idris Elba says but how do you wish to die here or in a Jaeger you know and it's <laughs> like dude you just you just accelerated through like what, what could have been two really cool minutes of character building and scene building because you know hey oh shit time we gotta get to the next scene right right right. so don't do that in your comics you you can always make more pages you can always make it more organic and hey the good news is your story now is longer than you originally thought there's 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 winners everywhere as long as you choose to see that sign and acknowledge it for what it is right on all right hey we did it we made it to the the end of the main topic and and we got some bullshit to bring But, Scott, so is your bullshit all basketball related? Because we're going to save basketball to the end. Okay, well, I'll do basketball
1: at the very, very end. All right? Yeah. So, uh, number one, I've been picking up some Golden Age Daredevils like crazy. Um, I don't know. There's been a string of a lot of uploads of those books. And so I think I've gotten like three or four more off of my list. Um, I've also been tackling as many of this long box back not back issues of uh to read piles as i can so i'm i'm more on the keith line of doing about one one to two issues a day and that's that's really cutting into the box so i really appreciate uh you mentioning that's what you do because it kind of goes yeah i should be doing that too you know it's not it's really not much to ask like To do that much reading in one day, it's like read two comic books. You know, it's it's better for your brain. It's better for my my long box of to to reads to go down. And uh, so it's all beneficial.
0: So I have one bit of bullshit, Scott. I wanted to surprise you on the episode for this. You sent me a video yesterday. Uh, Do you remember this video?
1: Oh, yes. It was the McDonald's
0: hack. Yeah, the McDonald's hacks, right? The McDonald's uh, secret menu hack. Scott, I did it four hours after you told me. Did it work? Four fucking hours. Of course it did. Yeah, it worked like oh, a charm, shit. man. It was great. So so Scott sent me this video. Okay, I should mention this. McDonald's, I think, earlier in the month of February announced that they are making some secret menu hacks of theirs available. I, I, I personally think that what McDonald's is trying to do is keep up with the Joneses. You know, because we're, I'm going to talk about it. In and Out has
1: like some secret menu shit. In and
0: Out hacks are legendary. You know, like Jack in the Box has basically made a late night drunk menu out of all the people hacking their shit. Um, Taco Bell has just gone public with a lot of their hacks. You know, one of the best hacks of Taco Bell, somebody told me this years ago. In fact, I had a Taco Bell dude tell me. I was asking like one simple question. I think I asked like, hey, can I just get a side of black beans? that that's how it started because I was just in a mood where I wanted, I I needed black beans. And the only fucking place around was a taco bell for whatever reason. I can't even tell you. Right. And, uh, but that was the circumstance. And the guy was like, Oh yeah, I can get you black beans. He's like, you know, you know that you can substitute anything for anything at taco bell. Right. And I was like, I'm sorry. what? What? And he's like, you can substitute anything on anything. And he's like, here's here. Here's he's like, for example, vegetarians love coming in here. Because they can order all of our tacos, but with black beans instead of the meat. And I'm like, "They they can do that? And he's like, yeah, vegetarians love doing that. And so for a long time, like whenever I eat Taco Bell, that's pretty much what I do because, you know, their meat is essentially the best laxative out there. (laughs) <laughs> and I don't like having the Taco Bell meat laxative. So I for for a very long time, for years, whenever I do Taco Bell or whenever I'm in the mood for a Taco Bell, I just put black beans in everything, man. It's fucking awesome. You get all the flavor of a Taco Bell, but it's like vegetarian. I'm not vegetarian, but I sure am at Taco Bell. So um so I think McDon and, and Taco Bell has they, you know, coincidence or not. Over the last couple of weeks, Taco Bell has started to advertise the fact that you can get, like, a black bean taco and all those things. So I think McDonald's is is trying to make sure that people are aware, like, hey, 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 you can hack our shit, too. So they kind of did this whole public thing about some of these goofy goofy sandwiches you can get but but the one that you sent me scott which blew my mind i think i texted you back in all caps like what the fuck (laughs) right it was it was that uh, a big mac costs in california big mac costs a little over five bucks a mcdouble costs about 250 but what you can do is you can order a mcdouble and you can basically tell them that you want it like a mac and then now now I will say, Scott, it required a little bit of coaching because I didn't just say like a Mac and had them. It's not like going into In-N-Out and saying animal style. Like right. they don't They don't know that. I had to say like a Mac. And she was like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, I'd like you to take the, the ketchup and the um, mustard off. And then I'd like you to add Big Mac sauce and then add lettuce and keep the pickles and onions there. And she's like, okay, we can do that. So they did it. And the cool thing about it is you basically get like 95% of the effect of a Big Mac at about 60% of the price because mm-hmm. it ends up coming out less than three bucks in California instead of five something for a Big Mac. The only thing you don't get is that silly bun in the middle. Um, it was really good, dude. Like, I, again, you told me about it. And then I picked up Eden because she had practice that night. I'm like, Eden, we're going to McDonald's. That's not, this is not a discussion. It's not a negotiation. <laughs> <laughs> right. So You're so young, we you'll burn there. the calories, kid. Oh, dude, eat, eat, fucking kids can eat anything, man. They're not us, you know? So yeah, I did that. And then Scott, I liked that so much that I actually went back to McDonald's this morning and I did another one of their menu hacks. Although this one's a little bit more rudimentary. All you have to do is you, you do an egg McMuffin value meal and then you, you take the hash browns and put them on the egg McMuffin. Oh, okay. So it's, it's fucking awesome. In terms of, as as far as Egg McMuffins go, it's awesome. Right it, on. It, it, yeah. it opens, like, I'm not a fan of Egg McMuffins, but if you throw a thing of hash browns on an Egg McMuffin, oh, it, it, it definitely levels it up. It, it turns it from, like, a 5.0 sandwich to, like, a 7.0 sandwich, oh, which, is a deal, that, a which is a big deal. That's a job. Which is a big deal. Yeah, man. It's a jump. It's a jump. So I don't know if I want to try all the other ones because they got some really weird shit on their menu, but I wanted to let you know that like I did, I did it immediately. Nobody loves silly fast food shit as much as I love silly fast food shit, (laughs) you know? So, uh, so yeah, man, I, I'll have to give it it a
1: try. That's uh, my girlfriend's guilty pleasure. It's her, um, it's her comfort food is McDonald's. So Mm -hmm. as long as I've been with her, I would say that's the most I've eaten McDonald's in, I don't know, 20 years <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> has been with her. It's just like this. <laughs> I do not go to McDonald's, <laughs> Like, but uh, we Dude. have been for sure.
0: Yeah. Did I ever tell you I had this uh, I had this line that I used to give? Well, well, God damn it, Casey. What do you have to say? You want to say hi to Scott again? This she wants to say,
1: oh, I pray for someone like
0: you. Hello, dog. Hey, who's going to come get this damn dog?
1: (laughs) Eden's coming in the photo.
0: Hello. Hello. You want to say hi? I would raise you. I would raise you, but the Sixers can't win a game. So there's no raising. There's no raising. You're not going to get raised. The Sixers aren't winning. Uh, okay. What What was your second thing? You had you had some more bullets. Did you have? Are we on to basketball? We're on or is to basketball that, because I can't Fuck remember yeah. off the top of it. my head.
1: But man, this was the craziest trade deadline that I have seen in quite some time. So, um, yeah. LeBron James gets the all time scoring record, but at mm-hmm. the same time, I'm just like, this game is garbage. We're garbage. It's nice that he got the record in the Lakers uniform. That's yeah. cool. But dude, we're playing the fucking Thunder on a second night of a back-to-back.
0: Who who you are in competition with for a playoff spot? Correct, because they of how were goddamn good. The Thunder are. They were literally SGA. SGA is a monster. SGA they, they, they is they a were monster. Literally
1: dude. one game ahead of us, and so if we beat them, that's a swing. That's a swing for us, right? But no, we fucking yeah. lost the game, and we lost the yeah. game by three fucking points on a second night for back of a back-to-back for them. Which is yeah. ultimate garbage. So I was like, dude, fuck this. Fuck us. We're trash. We're garbage. And then the yeah. very next day, they trade Russell Westbrook and Patrick Beverly, um, which I I was excited about Russ getting traded. I was done with him. Pat Bev has mm-hmm. actually been playing well, but I was cool with him going because he's just undersized, unfortunately. His mm-hmm. heart is great, just too small. And yeah. then we traded Thomas Bryant for three three second round draft picks, which I did not care for. I was like... That's a bad move. He's been producing for us. We just haven't been playing him, and I don't fucking know why. After he yeah. got traded, because, like, he was averaging at one point. He was averaging about 15 and 10 for us. That's mm-hmm. that's great for your center who has zero plays drawn for them. 15 and 10 is
0: fucking fantastic. And, I know a team who could use a backup center. Right? I mean, fucking us now. but um, Mine. <laughs> well, well, we do, because we just traded ours away. <laughs> like, we Yeah, had, exactly.
1: You know, so... Um, they let him go, but then after the trade happened, I was like, dude, this is bullshit. And then, you know, my Lakers chat was like, it's because they're going to make another move, which they did not do. Not really. Yeah. But after that, it was reported that he was unhappy on the team and wanted to be moved. And I was like, okay, mm-hmm. well, hey, he, he was on a one-year contract. He wasn't happy with his role once AD came back, which right. is like, but you signed the contract knowing AD was on this team, so... We were right. just expecting him to get hurt in a shitload of minutes. You know what I mean? So right, it was right. kind of a weird thing. I think for me. I mean, that's,
0: that's, that's a fair expectation, but, but yes. <laughs> I,
1: true. With AD, you expect him to get injured. That is correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think the, the death blow of that situation was when they traded for Rui Hachimura. Granted, Rui is a power forward and Thomas Bryan is a center, but those are interchangeable, especially on the Lakers. Like a lot of the power forwards end up playing center And, you know, and so that's just how it is. But yeah, um, you buried
0: the lead, Scott. You buried the lead.
1: So all of that, all of that, um, going back to the initial trade, um, Russ is gone and we got D'Angelo Russell, who is my fucking guy. Um, when we drafted him, I was through the moon. I was like, yes, this is the guy. This is the guy we wanted. And, um, you know, he ended up getting traded away because he did something stupid and uh, we got him back. So
0: I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so <laughs> what we he did was... We're
0: and it feels so good.
1: Oh, and then Pat Bev uh, posted on his back. social media getting the band back together once D'Angelo got back yeah. on, got onto the team because they yeah, played together traded. in the Timberwolves. Yeah. And then like two hours later, Patrick Beverly got traded. And that was kind of fun.
0: Well, I mean, that was a great two hours, wasn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, he, he thought so.
0: <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Oh, I. It's like I love Pat Bev though. I do. You know, so, and who the who the who's he on now? Where is he? Where would he go? Oh shit, man. Um, he got. Treated. I can't keep it straight. I know where he didn't go. He went East. The 76ers. Like, yeah, he because went we did. We barely did anything. I was gonna
1: say, did you guys do anything at all?
0: We traded Thybule.
1: Oh no, shit.
0: Yeah, yeah. I what, know. What'd you I, get I, for? I'm, oh crap! I can't remember who we got. We got. We got another three and D wing type mm. right I mean like it's funny because Ed was asking me about this about like well Thybule's still doing stuff it's like Thibuil's great on defense but D'Anthony Melton played him out of a job because D'Anthony Melton can play defense and actually make threes where Thibuil was a three and D guy except the three never came he was an and D guy now yeah, he's he was just a, a D beast guy. Dude, he's but he, I mean he's one of the best ten defenders in the league. He's a freak. He does shit on defense that I just don't haven't seen since Pete Kawhi, right? But the dude is an is an offensive nightmare. So I think I can't remember where he went, but I mean I, oh Portland, he went to Portland. Oh, okay. um. So yeah, whoever the Sixers got a dude from Portland, who I'm sure will be like a bench rotation guy, but I don't know. I mean, I I suppose the Sixers weren't supposed to do anything, but. I don't know it it, it feels like so you you are not the only fan of a team who lost to a team on the second night of a back to back because remember how I said the universe is centering when it comes to Philadelphia fans this terrifies me because the Super Bowl hasn't happened yet guys. I'm just letting you know that the Super Bowl hasn't happened yet, and the eagle and and a lot of people are picking the Eagles to win, and it's got me a little worried because the universe is here to kick me in the nuts, and I just hope that I hope that I hope that we not only don't lose the Super Bowl, but don't lose the Super Bowl in some excruciating way that like a bunch of simpletons that don't know football go like, well, I don't want to pull a Jalen Hurts because like poor Jalen Hurts like fumbled the snap on first and goal from the one or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, with the game on the line, right? Anyway, um, I'm getting ahead of myself. But this is what being a Philadelphia fan is, my friends. I'm just telling you. Um, but but yeah, so it's I don't know, man, like the the Sixers, the Sixers allowed the universe to get centered because I'm, I'm fucking in state college. The way that our schedule worked out is I was able to watch the Sixers play the Knicks. The Sixers busted out to a thirty three to twelve lead. <laughs> Because of Pennsylvania's arcane liquor laws, I basically got two beers. I got a 19-ounce hazy IPA that was a beast, and it was actually something bare. It was by – oh, crap. It was by Goose Island. Oh, okay. I don't know. Yeah, it was really good, and then I wasn't sure if that was the only one I would want, because shit, like, my wife's, my wife's doing her own thing, and my kid's doing her own thing, so I'm just sitting there in a hotel room drinking beer, I'm like, fuck it, I bought a Miller Lite just as a hedge, and ended yeah, up drinking yeah. about half of that, too, And um, and the fucking Sixers lost to the Knicks, who were on the second night of a back-to-back, and it's like... And then, and then a couple nights later, which was uh, which was whenever they lost to the Celtics, even though the Celtics were without Marcus Smart, and then um, Jalen Brown got hurt in the second quarter. And it's like, thank you Sixers, thank you for <laughs> reminding me that I can't trust you to be. I, I can't take you seriously. I watched the end of that title game. Team. I was yeah. uh, me so, and Daniela.
1: So we were out getting sushi and the celtics were playing and i was like oh these fucks who are they playing i was like oh the sixers all right i'll watch yep. this yeah and uh yep. we were done eating and there was about two and a half minutes left and i think the sixers were down like seven eight points and i was like that's doable that's doable in two minutes yep.
0: nope not for the sixers
1: and, nope. and it was not it was not doable nope. for the sixers nope. and uh we, so it was about are... 50 seconds left i was all nope they're not doing it we can get out of here <laughs>
0: Nope. This is look, look, I, I this this is this is both a blessing and a curse. The Sixers are precisely the sixth best team in the NBA. Mm. So yay, we win some games, but boo, we don't have a goddamn chance to win the title. So Do you guys just I'm, not having I'm any happy. Depth? Our bench sucks. Mm. Our bench sucks. Now, I know. I, I look, here's what's going to happen, right? Because because now the universe needs to build me up, Scott. So in a few weeks, I'm going to be high on the Sixers because we probably rolled some combination of like Orlando and fucking I don't know who else sucks. You know, like we're probably yeah, we, going to go we, on some run. We, we just got Mo we just play Orlando. We just play Orlando and Washington like five times in a row, right, and then we're going right. to be like five and zero, oh, and I'm gonna be like, yeah, the Sixers are actually good. And then they're just going to let me down in the playoffs. I I knew this was going to happen. Right, And this is yeah. what's going to happen. We talked about that a couple weeks is, ago, yeah. Dude, this roller coaster's not over. I, I'm going to get high and low two more times through this season, and then it's going to end with a loss in the first or second round. Like I know this is how it works. So, God damn it.
1: With, uh, <laughs> with the trade, so speaking of Orlando, we got Mo Bomba Oh, that's I that's where Mo he Bamba. went. Pat Bev went to the Magic.
0: Oh, okay. Because we got, we got oh, Mo Bamba and then, for him. and Yeah, and, and then he'll get cut and he'll go somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I love Mobamba, but Mobamba's never healthy.
1: Right, like, like I get it. You know, it's, uh, he, it's he's kind got of an, an eight experiment. foot wingspan. He, he is a what you say? He's got an eight foot wingspan, dude. Dude, that's bonkers. And like, I guess he's shooting forty percent from three. So like, he's ob- insane. Yeah. Obviously, he's not taking a gazillion of them. He's probably taking a couple a game or something like that. Yeah. But um, you know, a big who can actually sh- stroke the three is nice. Even though Thomas Bryant can do it. But hey, if you're unhappy, you got you got to go. Uh, But the fact we got Mo Bamba was nice because uh, him and Rui were both lottery picks. And we basically Mm -hmm. got him for fucking nothing. We got it for Pat Bev, one second rounder. That's what we got Mo Bamba for. And Rui was um, uh, Kendrick Nunn and I think three second rounders or something like that. So fucking A, man. Two lottery picks that have not cashed out yet. But LeBron has a habit of getting the best out of guys like
0: that. Yeah, I I have great news for you. The great news for you is the Lakers are going to win the title, dot, 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 in NBA 2K this year. (laughs) Because a whole whole lot of Laker fans are going to make these trades, and then they're going to get high. And then they're going to play NBA 2K, and they're not going to have to deal with the fact that people like Mobama Mo get injured. And then Mobama's Mo going to be a freak, and they're going to win the fucking title in NBA 2K. Like, a bunch of high people, a bunch of people high, are going to win the, the fucking title on NBA 2K. And that's going to make people think, like, oh, shit, yeah, this Lakers team's not so bad. Hey, 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 you're high, and you're playing a video game, right? Like, that's the problem.
1: <laughs> and this team's bad. No, I'll, I'll yeah. say, though, that I'm really happy with all of the trades that they did. Like, we got, um, not only do we get D'Lo, who shoots about 40% from three. Um, and I was watching videos. He's actually improved on defense as well. He's he's just a really intelligent guy. So he actually knows all the defensive schemes. And he can tell if anyone's out of place. And he'll turn and tell everyone to go where they need to be. And uh, it was cool watching the video. He just has, like, a, a grasp of it. It's really nice. And then, so he shoots from uh, 40, 40% from three. We also got Malik Beasley who shoots, I think, 38% from three. So right really? away, uh, those two guys, they're in the top 15 uh, made threes in the league. Yeah. Our, our closest guy before this trade was Lonnie Walker, who was 75th. Mm-hmm. That's how terrible we are at three-point shooting. So we got two yeah. guys in the top 15, and that's, that's freaking excellent for me. I'm pretty excited about that. And then uh, I think it's Vanderbilt was the third guy we got. And so yeah. since we tr- traded away Thomas Bryant, we got another center back. And I was watching videos on him and he is really active and fast for a big man like to get uh from like the center position out to the three point line and then like, you know, doing stuff like that. So, yeah. I'm excited to see what this team looks like. We're obviously not going to win a title, but dude, like I was starting that story off with watching LeBron pass Kareem for the all-time scoring record. The game was fucking horrendous and I hated every single minute of it.
0: Yeah. I, I so
1: I was ready to I was like I think I'm done watching the Lakers for a while because they're mm-hmm. hurting my feelings. Like to the right. point where it's ruining my night and it's just like I don't want right. to do this anymore.
0: Right. Right. You can only pour four fingers of Glenfiddich every now and then. You yeah. can't do that every time the Lakers play. <laughs> the bottle's almost done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, and that's only 3 games. That's only 3 games, Scott. Right? <laughs> the bottle's I know, almost man. done. It's rough. Uh so I I will say this. One. Um I actually, I can't forget two now, so we know that the beer's kicking in. but maybe I'll remember it by the time I get to this. Um, but but one fuck, I think I just forgot one. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. God damn it. God damn it. Well, we, I think we're getting to what my rating is going to be. But hey, before, before we do that, uh, thoughts, so, is, is Phoenix winning the West? Mr. Lost? That oh, is, I remember my first thing. Wait, don't don't fuck this up. Oh, I'm gonna fuck okay. this up. Go if hard, I guys. was a professional gambler, I would absolutely throw down a few dollars for the Lakers to win the West. Uh, dude, I would,
1: dude. No joke. I was legit thinking it. I was like, plus what are they our, fucking
0: plus five thousand to win the West? Why wouldn't you just just exactly? A
1: if I threw, I think the minimum like my nephew gambles. I think he said the minimum bet is fifty bucks. Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I throw fifty bucks down? So oh, like, oh, yes. what the fuck's the return on that number? you know what i mean the
0: return i mean again whatever like 50 times 50 it's like some bonkers ass number you know like I, I look i think i think the lakers made some really fun moves mm-hmm. and i think they they leveraged the crappy assets they have the best they could i i don't like they're losing a lot of games dude okay but like they're losing them close yes they're losing by 3 Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 this and that's with Russ Westbrook, you know, like it's funny because I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a Lakers fan, and uh and I and he was happy that they got rid of Westbrook, and he's like he was like, Keith, you were the one that was talking about it. remember remember a couple weeks ago when the Lakers played the Sixers and the Lakers had a chance to win, but Westbrook just dribbled out the clock and the took ball. a stupid shot. Yeah, mm. it's it's just like you were down one. You could have won that game. You know, like without Westbrook, I think you I think you might win that game. So all those all those ball hoggery type things are gonna go out the window. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying they're gonna win the title, but I'm saying that the odds that they are, why would you not just take a flyer on it?
1: They got a fucking puncher's chance, you know what I mean? And of course and, they do. They
0: have LeBron James, man. And
1: and to go to your second question, do I think the Suns are going to win it all or win the West? I don't know because I think their offensive firepower is insane. They have DeAndre Ayton down low, you know he's he's very yeah. young. I think he's he scores about eighteen points a game. And then you have CP three orchestrating it all. You have Kevin Durant. You have Devin Booker. You you legit have a big four, you know. That's yeah. a hell yeah. of a starting four. And yeah. so offensively, I can see them tearing some motherfuckers up. If mm-hmm. two out two or three of those guys are going off one game, um, they're blowing the other team out of the water. So no matter right. how little defense these guys are going to play, and that's my my issue with this team is that they traded yeah. away a couple of their stronger defensive players in order to get totally. Kevin Durant. It's like, okay, who the fuck's playing defense on this team? Because from what I understand, Devin Booker doesn't play defense very much. Nope. And CP3, he does, but he's older and he's undersized. He's so 37. Yeah, yes, exactly. there's only so much he can do. So it's just like, all right, well, this is kind of the, the same problem the Nets had. You know, with Kyrie mm-hmm. and KD, it was just like, well, their offense and Harden. It's like, OK, that's three people who don't really play defense. You know, KD, K- plays KD good, can
0: play defense. KD yeah, can play defense, defense. But if KD is your best defender, you're in trouble.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. who do you who do you think? I, I think it's a little tough. I don't know that I have a clear pick because I'm a Lakers fan. Um, I always think, you know, before you even said it, I, I was just like, I still think Lakers have a puncher's chance. You know what I mean? I do, like, too. LeBron AD, if he's right, and the the shooters that we got—that's what we've been missing. We've been missing shooters, so that there's a puncher's Dude, chance for
0: that. Um, I, I was the one who brought it up, man. You know, like I was the one who said this, not you. So for mm-hmm. me, it's like the three teams that I think are most likely to come out of the West now are a the Nuggets, but it's like the Nuggets. Yeah, they lose. We, the thing with we... them is they lose every year. You get Jokic; he's we, the yeah. he's
1: the MVP every year and then they just shit the bed in the playoffs it's like they don't exactly. do anything i think one round maybe it was even last year they lost in the first round
0: well they made the western finals i think in the bubble right and then okay. and then that was that was the biggest thing they did but uh, like there's there's something about the nuggets that that makes me think they can't do it and then you go phoenix okay well phoenix has the offense but can they play defense and then you know like i i suppose it, again this this theoretical gambler who i am Memphis? But like do we really believe in Memphis Scott? Do yeah, we it's really kind of believe, like the jazz. Do we really situation? believe that like Triple J and John Morant are ready to go to the finals? Mm-hmm. You know yeah. like we we know how the NBA works. You don't just go from like the first you 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 go round by round in your ascension. So that's why it's so hard. I I I suppose I think it will just be Phoenix and Golden State again for the Western Conference, but you know Golden State has to learn to win a game on the road because they're they're just garbage on the road, right? But anyway, yeah. there, there's and a lot lacking. To be said. They're
1: lacking size. They actually just traded uh, a Wiseman, who was their yeah. second overall draft pick. And yeah, Wiseman sucks. Yeah, that it's really unfortunate because his first season when he was playing, I was like, man, I see the flashes of. really super good center like i was like i Mm -hmm. can see this guy being legit you know like just taking control and everything and and i just don't know what happened he got injury prone i don't know the heart or or what what his issues are but it's crazy because i think that was the same draft as uh halliburton it's like man imagine if the warriors drafted halliburton over wiseman like wouldn't that Mm -hmm. be fucking
0: crazy it's crazy Yeah. Anyway, so we'll see. I I think I think it's fun because it makes the West wide open. I think the East is a two team race. It's just Boston and Milwaukee. Yeah, I just I I refuse to acknowledge Philadelphia's presence. No, no. Yeah, I mean, I get it. So I understand. And and I also think those are the two best teams in the NBA right now. I think I think if, if the finals were if the playoffs started now, then Boston or Milwaukee is winning. That's the Eastern Finals, and the winner of that wins it. But we'll see. There's there's a lot of time. Maybe Phoenix will find a gear on defense. Maybe they got a guy. You know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. uh, Who knows? Who knows? So we'll see. We'll see. Anyway. uh, All right. Did you have any other bullshit? Or is that? No, man.
1: I think we successfully killed our audience for the rest of this episode.
0: (laughs) We did. We we went fucking deep, man. We went deep. Hey, we saved it for last, and that's all that matters. We we didn't.
1: You know what we didn't do yet?
0: Rate rate these beers. Rate these these beers. beers. You go first.
1: Um, society beer folk unite 7.5 hazy IPA. I give you your ABV. You get a 7.5. This was an Mm -hmm. excellent hazy IPA. I really enjoyed it to the point where I debated on giving it an eight, but I felt like that was way too strong. It's just super solid. If you enjoy hazies, you're for sure going to like this. And, um, even if you don't like hazies, I think you're going to like this. This is just a delicious beer.
0: Okay. Okay. So, Scott, podcast listeners, are, are we you breaking history?
1: Now? We're breaking history, I think.
0: We're making history, motherfucker. Bourbon County Brand Stout by Goose Island 10.0. It's a fucking 10. It's a 10. If like, so, so what that means is if you've World's never had a, bur- if you never had a bourbon barrel stout, try this one. Okay. Because if you don't like this one, you don't like bourbon barrel stouts. It's, it's straight up like that. You know, it's, it's, it's fucking amazing. So it's the best. yeah, it's, 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 and, and part of, part of the reason I even wanted to choose that is because I've been listening back to our podcast and like we hang so much in this five to seven range mm-hmm. And I was like, I think, I think I just need to bust out a Bourbon County and just give that thing anywhere from a nine to a ten. But after having this thing, it's it's a ten. It's 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 my favorite beer. Boom all right. On, man. That's, that's a great yeah. rating.
1: I like it. I have to try yeah, it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You should give it a go. Should give it a go. Okay, so uh, in terms of uh, social media and and everything else, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. I'm posting five times a week or so. I'm doing all kinds of funky shit. Um, And then in terms of websites, it is KeithRFoster.com. I have blog posts there. I haven't done a blog post in a while, but I still have some archives. And then, of course, I have pages for my comics. But most importantly, there is still a day left on the Kadoja Symphony of Madness Number 2 Kickstarter. It's got cool new story it's it's building to the end it's got badass high energy interiors by Tony Gregory and it's got three covers one of which is the critically acclaimed and much adored Scott Lost Variant Making Comics Variant which is the homage to Secret Wars number four a killer cover and, and if you haven't gotten that yet, then I encourage you to check out the campaign and, and back that tier or back any tier that suits you. But um, but there's all kinds of cool shit there. So go check that out. There's still a day left when this airs.
1: And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram, facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. And if you want to pick up my books, go to accidentalaliens.com. And you can get Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night, or Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus of Humans. Uh, a thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets. We come across the planet milisonda where the meteor never hit and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. So, it's two dominant species trying to coexist on one planet. Keith, does that work? It never works. It never works. So, if those sound interesting to you, go to AccidentalAliens.com to pick those up.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and so in terms of... Let, let's let say you don't want to pick up our books. Let's say you want to do something for free. Let's say you're like, oh, dude, I want to hook these guys up. But hey, I'm low on funds. And we get it. You can rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can rate us five stars on Spotify Podcasts. That shit helps. It, it makes sure that the algorithms are your bitches. We all know the algorithms are your bitches. Let's remind those fuckers, right? Go out there. Throw us five stars. Own the algorithms. Don't let them own you. And uh, and more importantly, by doing that, you, you're you going to boost us in people's like discovery feeds. More comic creators are going to find it out. More people who are fans of comics are going to find it out. All from one simple review by you.
1: That's how you do it, people. That's how you do it. Hey, did you know when Brooklyn traded for Kevin Durant, they traded uh, uh, Bridges to the Nets? So, Brooklyn Bridges? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's a t-shirt, people. That's all right.
0: (laughs) That's all right. We'll see you next week. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah.